Hello, and welcome to the Redesigning Normal podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Southern. Since COVID-19 hit in March of 2020, businesses have had to completely redesign how they operate in the new normal. With this show, we'll bring you interviews from leaders across a variety of industries to discuss the impacts the pandemic has had on their business, how they're adjusting, and how they're preparing for whatever the future may hold. Join us each week as we bring you a new expert interview. Each episode, we discuss how a different industry is adapting to these changing times. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at InvisibleHealthTechnologies.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Redesigning Normal Podcast. I'm here with my guest, Blake DeYoung. Hi, thank you for joining me so much. Good morning. So, Blake, can you uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your school that you're involved in and your role there? Sure. Uh, Bellevue Christian School is a, is an independent school out in the Seattle area. We um, started in 1950, so we've been doing this a, a long time. Um, I myself am, am actually an alum uh, of, of BCS, so I had a, a career as a teacher and, a, and an administrator at other independent schools and then came back here about uh, six years ago and served for five years as the principal of our secondary campus, our middle and middle school and high school campus, um, where we have about 500 students on on that campus and about a thousand in the in the system overall, and then um, last year, just before the world turned upside down, uh, we started talking about my moving into a different role uh, at the school. So now um, I oversee. Um, admissions and fundraising and marketing communications, all that sort of, uh, all that sort of business side. So it was an interesting time to make the transition, um, right into, uh, into a role that, um, that had to think differently, um, about the way the world looked and how we were going to operate. So I would imagine people right away are like, are you going to have school? <laughs> like, are my kids going to be going to school? Yeah. I mean, everything happened so fast and and I think that um, um, everybody, organizations and individuals um, and families, um, all spent those first I don't know four to six weeks just trying to find their footing and and looking around at others um, and and trying to have a sense of of stability. And it felt to us like. Um, once we were able to establish what the short term was going to look like, the short term meaning kind of that first month, which then quickly became the end of last school year, um, people just people just were ready to be led, and and whatever whatever stability and certainty um, we could provide was graciously accepted. Um, I think the the question that you brought up, kind of the like, what now? really started to emerge, at least for schools, kind of in the summer. Um, and uh, once once we started realizing that this, okay, this wasn't going to be a two-week thing, and then it wasn't going to be a two-month thing, um, we, the, the summer presented that second chapter where it's like, okay, um, 
you know, simply providing a reasonable, in our case, remote school alternative was not going to work for the for the uh, 2021 school year. We needed to really get our stuff together um, and, uh, and and provide something that um, was was very a very compelling experience, a very compelling product for our families who. I mean, let's be honest, they do have, they do have other options. And so, um, we, we were hard at work in the first half of the summer, really building, um, uh, a, a valuable, uh, product for our families. And I think that's, that's borne out over the course of the year in ways that we can probably talk about here this morning. Yeah. I, I let's get into it. I mean, I would love to hear, like, how did you allay the fears of these folks, through, you know, whatever criteria to make sure that they're going to get the value and that they're going to be safe. And this is exactly what this podcast is about. So, right. Right. Um, we, it's funny that, um, we've been, you know, you know, the metaphor, you know, you're flying the aircraft as you're, you're building the aircraft as you're flying it, or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going down the rushing river or whatever, like it had, it, it took me a while. It was several months before I went back almost as a history lesson and started looking at like how we handled this as a school, because obviously it wasn't, it wasn't something that anybody saw coming with a lot of advance notice. So I was a little bit curious um, as we got into, as we got into this year, like what is it that we did? What were the circumstances that allowed us to kind of thrive in this because if you look at any sort of metric right now we're we're thriving i mean this has this has been an opportunity a forced opportunity but still an opportunity for us to um kind of reset how we do things and also honestly to reset our sort of um our sort of position in the landscape of independent schools in the in the seattle area so i was like i mean what you know what was it because it's not like it's not like we're elitists or we're the smartest people in the room or anything like that. There were some circumstances that allowed us to be kind of out in front. And, and among those was um, obviously the Seattle area was one of the first places in the country where this sort of started getting news. And, and we were having our first conversations about this um, really back in kind of the middle of January, which is, which is a lifetime when you think about it. If you've got like an eight week window between the middle of January and the middle of March, when, when we went out, um, when, when schools in the Seattle area shut down and everything kind of, kind of came to a halt, um, eight weeks instead of six or four or two is a lifetime. So we were having really kind of, kind of elementary conversations and really basic conversations way back in early January that just, I think allowed us to be kind of on the forefront of, uh, of thinking about this. Right. So it was at first, like, gosh, we should kind of be paying attention to this. Like this could, this could impact our business. And then pretty quickly that, that shifted for us. Some of the first conversations were really around, um, around discrimination and, and assumptions about where the virus was coming from and what that meant for caring for members of our own community. Um, students that, uh, you know, that, that, that were from China or that, that had relatives that were visiting from China, all that, those were, those were like the late January, early February kind of conversations for us. Before this is even like in the U S on mass. Yeah. I mean, it was like a few, you know, those few cases early on, nothing that would have, the, the early conversations for us were really just around that, like, and, and also sort of, okay. So it evolved from, 
hey, let's make sure that our that our Chinese students in particular are being well cared for. And then it became, well, gosh, we've got some school breaks coming up. Do we need to think about guidance for travel travel between, you know, in particular the U.S. and China or even just global travel? That was a long time before we started having conversations about, you know, totally redeveloping our, our model, our educational model. But because we were having those conversations in late January, by the middle of February, we were starting to have more serious conversations about, geez, what are, what are we going to do if this disrupts our ability to be in person? It's kind of that that far-reaching scenario where you're you're really grappling with like a topsy-turvy world. I think we were able to get there before a lot of other schools and it didn't feel like wasted time for us. You know, even though it was like, well, gosh, is this really going to happen? Are we really talking about, you know, a world where we can't, we're not going to come to school in person. We, we were having hypothetical conversations a good four or five weeks ahead of, of when that happened, which gave us a huge lead time. And then we were, we're honestly just fortunate to have some really, really smart people in the organization who took the reins on um, sort of reimagining, uh, you know, remote education and, and, and started to, I mean, it was, so, it was such a complex landscape because we're from a, even from a technology hardware standpoint, we weren't a one-to-one school. So we had to, we had to just ramp that up. And of course that in itself was its own sort of arms race, everybody trying to quickly get, you know, just get inventory um, of devices. And again, that's one of those examples where being ahead of that conversation by a week makes a massive difference in working with vendors. Um, So it was a scramble from, I would say, probably about three to four weeks before we actually went out. I mean, it was at that point, it was daily meetings with kind of the core team um, and we weren't, again, we weren't thinking about to give, pay homage to the, to the title of the podcast here. It wasn't like completely redesigning normal permanently. We were like, okay, well, how are we going to, how are we going to get through this? Because the other thing for us is during that season, during that, you know, for, sort of four to eight week window, we're also smack in the middle of re-enrollment for next year. So, so it is not a time where you want to be, um, where, where you want questions coming up about the value of what people are investing in, right? The last thing you want during that time is some sort of disruptive event that causes people to go, well, they kind of botched that, you know? And then on the flip side, it's also an opportunity or, or, or a season where if you have an opportunity to shine, it's a great time to affirm that value. You know, if, if Bellevue Christian School is able to um, is able to demonstrate that we that that we think well, that we that we have the capacity to execute on on a completely new normal and find our footing um, more quickly than other organizations, that is a great opportunity for us to kind of for our profile to rise. And so so then we were I don't know, we I think we decided to suspend in-person classes about two or three days before uh, Jay Inslee, our governor in Washington, shut everybody down, shut all schools down. And it was initially for a period of about three weeks. Um, But again, it was one of those, one of those things like if we're able, 
if we're able to just be ahead of that, <laughs> it's like it's like that sweet spot. You know, you don't want to be the you don't want to be the first to close or to suspend. You don't want to look like you're you know, you're being reactionary or, and we had some schools, both public and independent in the Seattle area that, that did that. Like they were kind of like, well, we're going to close first. And then they wound up going back on that. (laughs) And then, and then, um, then the mandate comes down and it's like, well, you weren't in control of your own destiny. You're only closed now because the the governor said, so, so instead of being able to say, we did what was best for our organization, um, you know, it's more like, well, we're just going along with, with what, what the governor mandated. And Bellevue Christian, fortunately, was able to to be out in front of that, as I said, by two or three days. Um, wow. So, yeah, that's kind of how that's kind of how the how it so went. what you're describing, if what I hear is is like a really strong decision making body. Right. Like it must you must have a team that is like really good at analyzing. Right. Well, what's going on? I mean, Andrew, we, we found out we found out that we were good at that. <laughs> you know, it, I, I mean, I, it, there wasn't a plan and it wasn't as if, you know, some organizations probably have some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of manual on the shelf for like, okay, well, if you're in an unprecedented situation that fits sort of these categories, here's the team that's going to come together and the process by which they're going to make decisions. We didn't have that on the shelf. Okay. Um, but you didn't but have we, your pa- your pandemic uh, handbook <laughs> ready no. to go. Huh. No, and as I said, you know, you, you're 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 doing, and this is a metaphor for education as a whole. But you're, you're doing something a certain way for, in our case, seventy years, or in the case of sort of American education, you're doing something a certain way for 150 years, and all of a sudden, here comes the pandemic that says, "Well, you can't operate that way anymore. You just you just can't." And so, good luck. <laughs> and and we. Sometimes it's sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, and sometimes it's it's ideal to be both. Um, we were both lucky and good. We we were lucky in the sense that we this thing got our attention sooner than probably in some other organizations, um, and and we were we were lucky in the sense that we had some really good people that that were on the payroll and that got drafted into. The, the meetings and the decision process at the right time and were able to lead through some of the most complex uh, layers of, of executing this, this pivot in the spring. Did you also query like um, peers in other markets to see what they were doing or were you kind um, of doing well, it on your own? Not so much in other markets because the, because the Seattle area was, you know, was one of the first markets to really grapple with this. Right. So right. Um, we certainly, I mean, <laughs> you know, if this is, if this is a podcast about, about leadership and, and other people listening, you know, it's a great reminder of the value of having, um, those, those close connections on speed dial, those other, those other educational leaders or organizational leaders where, you know, it's not so much in those days, it's not so much a system, right? Like, like, uh, well, I'm on this, I'm on this, email exchange or this list serve with other educational leaders. And, you know, every week we have a, you know, we have a chat or something. It, no, no. It's like, I need to pick up the phone right now. I need to make a decision in the next 10 minutes on this issue or hour or whatever it might be. And I need to, I need to talk to 
you know, my, my colleague over at, you know, the neighboring school or whatever and say, Hey guys, how are, how are you navigating this? What's your own community, you know, sort of chatter about this. And it was, um, it was a very supportive local independent school kind of environment in those, in those early days of just being able to reach out and go help, help us think well about this. And then, you know, fortunately for us, we were on the receiving end of those calls too, which was, um, which, which is a good feeling to be able to just share best practices and current thinking. Okay. So now we're into, well, once you hit the summer, you've got a natural break, right? Which coincides with, with a dip in, in sort of, you know, us infections and everything's looking a little bit better. Right. And, but everyone's kind of concerned about the fall and as they should be right. If you look at the data now, and right away, and I'm just sort of making up this scenario, but I think it's probably true. All those people, all those people that you enrolled and all those families that were already enrolled and have you know, gone legacy families and all that stuff are starting to ask in July or whatever, hey, what, what are we doing in September or, or late August? So, and you're saying back, what do you say? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things for us was, um, that that the the way we responded in the spring was was um, visibly superior to what a lot of other um, uh, a lot of other families were experiencing, particularly in the in the public schools. I mean, just, and I'll just be be honest, and it's not about um, there are lots of reasons for for why that is. There's there's resourcing reasons for that. There are um, there are labor relation reasons for that. You know, like. What, what Bellevue Christian School and I think what other independent schools were able to accomplish um, in the spring um, was was impressive in part because of those those things I mentioned. Also scale. I mean, we're, you know, it was a challenge for us to figure out how we were going to get, you know, a thousand devices in the hands of students in a, in a one week period. Um, but it's a lot easier for, for us to do that than it is for you know, a, a public school district that's got 20,000 kids in it or 50,000. Right. And, and certain like pro- procurement, like yeah, hurdles and yeah. whatnot. Right. Um, and, but, but, but we were able to do it and, and our own internal people noticed and were immediately um, appreciative and all the, it was funny because all the, um, all the, all the little things that can pull at school culture, you know, <laughs> all the things that, all the, all the frustrating things that seem so important um, and, and, and can, and can just kind of drag on a school culture, those things just evaporated in the spring, right? It was like, people were, people were grateful, people were appreciative, people were impressed. Um, and even though our launch wasn't, perfect and it was a disruption from what normal had been it it was still um it was still visibly uh different and better than you know what the kids were experiencing down the street in your neighborhood and so we and so all that to say we ended the the spring we ended last school year with quite a bit of quite a bit of wind at our back quite a bit of momentum um and that hadn't yet translated to new enrollment but the people that that had had been at Bellevue Christian for the 2021 school year um, were were saying good things, and they were they were positively engaged, and there was a lot of um, 
you know, there was a lot of positive buzz kind of out there in the community about what BCS had done. Again, in the, that was in the 2021 school year. <laughs> to your point, we, we hadn't really started figuring out yet what we were going to do in 21-22. And part of that was because J- June was too early to start making those determinations. It wasn't too early to be talking about it, for sure. Um, and and we, you know, we really worked hard in 2021 to keep our eye on the ball and like finish that school year well. Um, and we, you know, we had the, we had the educational model nailed down, but you have all kinds of events and rituals and all that stuff at the end of the year that are important for organizational culture. We weren't going to be able to do them in any sort of normal sense. I mean, high school graduation is a classic example, but we've got you know, we've got 10 to 12 of those events that we need to rethink. So that kept us very busy through kind of late May. What did you, June. what did you do? Did you did virtual versions <laughs> of, of graduation? We did a lot of virtual, um, and, uh, for, for smaller type events like our, you know, the award ceremonies and the, and the sixth grade, you know, uh, graduation ceremonies and, you know, things like that. We did, um, our school auction. We did a lot of, a, a lot of virtual versions for that with when it came to high school graduation we we really wanted to do something in person and so we kept we kept kicking it down down later and later into the summer um and uh, in hindsight we kicked that one a little bit too late um we missed a window in early july when we probably could have had it uh we we had a vision for an outdoor ceremony here at the school kind of in the parking lot and um uh, and then uh, we kicked it into late July, and by the time we were ready to have it, um, the state came out with some with some guidance as cases started to sort of tick back up there in the middle of the summer. And they said, "Well, you can't have even outdoor gatherings with more than I think it was 25 people or something." And so um, we made the decision about a week ahead of that event to cancel it. Um, and that was pretty devastating, um, for families, uh, understandably. So it was one of the first times in that sort of six month window that we really got some negative pushback, um, from those families. Uh, as I said, it, through most of the spring and summer, it had been, you know, one attaboy pat on the back after another, because we were, we were generally making really, really good decisions in the landscape that we were having. And, and that was one, I think it was the right decision, but it it's an important event in a family's life. And, um, and our decision to cancel it based on the state's guidance was, was one that was tough for, for a lot of families. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at Invisible Health technologies.com. I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, I went to a, went to a private school in Princeton, New Jersey, a place called Princeton day school. And when I, I just vaguely remember like if someone came to school and they like had the flu, they went to the nurse's office, right? They sat there for part of the day and then their parents came and got them. 
Right. And that was probably true for your school in, let's say, January 2020. That's exactly what every school would do, right? If a kid came to school sick in January 2021, yeah. like, what did it, what does it look like in January or, or now or in February? What, what does it look like now for a student coming to school? It's coming to school. Yeah. By the way, I'm assuming that you're you're open now. We haven't actually we talked we're about. We're in person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, we're in person, um, and and we have been all all year, for the most part. Um, which kind of gets to your earlier question about about the anatomy of of um how we made those decisions over the summer, and maybe we, we'll circle back to to that, and I'll just talk briefly about about our protocols today, um, which is which is which is part of our reopening plan, obviously. So, um, we. As you can imagine, the uh, the product and vendor landscape is a little bit like the Wild West right now, and that that emerged in the summer, right? It was all kinds of, and you you know that well from from your own business, but it was all sorts of you know new products coming on the market, and we think we can help with this, and just I mean sorting through that as an organization, um, what are the products out there that are that are really good? <laughs> what are the products out there that are actually really dependable that have been tested? Um, and what is kind of the, you know, who are the snake oil salesmen out there that are trying to, trying to take advantage of an opportunity. So we wound up selecting, um, uh, like a, like a health management, um, reporting, um, uh, app that our family, a trust trust app. Yeah. A trust app. Yeah. Yep. And so, so it's a little bit different at the, at our elementary schools versus our, versus our secondary campus. Um, when our middle and middle and high school students show up, um, they, uh, we have, we have three designated checkpoints for campus entry and you can't get into the perimeter of campus without going through, um, one of those entry points. And we, we do temperature scans and we, um, we have them sign in physically, um, and their signature uh, designates that they don't have, you know, any of the following symptoms. Um, it's a little bit of hygiene theater. You know, you're probably probably familiar with that phrase. Um, we call it co- confidence theater. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> hygiene theater. But it's but it was a relatively low, uh, relatively small lift for our staff. You know what I mean? Like so to be able to like physically reconfigure campus and then to staff those checkpoints on a daily basis it's not actually that much work and it has other benefits for us anyway. It's, it's a great thing for a kid to show up every day on campus and be great, be greeted by the same person who, who gives them, you know, a little friendly, uh, a friendly welcome to campus. And, and it's another checkpoint with an adult um, who cares about them. And so, I mean, pandemic aside, that's a good thing for kids. That's a good thing for school culture. So um, it really, it really was not that big of a deal. And it gave our community a sense of, as you said, confidence, like, okay, well, they're, they're taking it seriously. And here's what happens if you, you know, if you show up and you, and you, um, you have symptoms that doesn't happen very often at all, by the way. Um, because one of the things that, that we did, um, again, this is unique to the, to the uh, secondary campus to middle and middle and high school is that our model, um, there is to be in person, but all classes are live streamed um, every day. And so a kid, any given day, a kid can decide, you know what, I'm going to stay home and do school remotely today. 
Um, and they don't have to tell us in advance, um, or th- this has been the plan anyway, <laughs> and it's worked out pretty well, but we have, we've also learned some, some things about it, um, some things that we may do differently in the future. Um, but w- we, <laughs> so if you go back to the summer, like, and this is, I think, applicable for, for sort of all, all businesses, you start looking at your, you start looking at the resources that you need to deliver your product. Um, and there was all sorts of there were all sorts of early questions about well you know the staffing side of this and 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 remote like on the technology side like what platforms do we want to use and what about the you know what what about things like camera quality and and audio and like all those things that like are really complicated to 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 discern but we also realized really early on that our ability to be in person was fundamentally a question of real estate. It was fundamentally a question of physical space. Like that was the biggest constraint that we were going to face. We didn't know for sure what the what the limitations were going to be on like distancing and, and all that stuff, but we knew the constraints were going to be constraining for us and what we were typically used to. Um, you know, if we if we typically wanted to depend on being able to put 24 kids in a classroom or 22 kids in a classroom, we were going to be dealing with a reality that was more like 14 to 18. So if we, and we, and, and we don't have any more space. <laughs> so, so how are we going to navigate that? Well, one way we can navigate it is to, um, is to create a scenario where it is not just permissible, but, but might even be attractive for kids to stay home and do school remotely. You know, if you can, if you got a class of 22 and your, and your capacity in the room is 18, if you can get four to six kids to just stay home and, and that, and their learning is not compromised or diluted. Right. um, Because you've invested in this technology and this and this, and like, we've got it, it's solid. It's for every class, every grade. Exactly. And that's where all that stuff starts to work together. And so you're having those conversations in July and you're sketching it out and you're like, okay, well, this works on, (laughs) this works on paper, you know, now can we, can we get our hands on the, on the technology that we need and can we get it installed in a timely fashion? Um, What are our teachers going to think about this model? Because there's a whole, in education, there's a whole, um, there's a whole hesitancy and skepticism and fear about having a camera in your classroom that is like deeply ingrained (laughs) in, in in sort of teaching culture Um, that obviously got completely eroded by the pandemic because now all of a sudden everybody has, everybody is teaching in front of a camera, whether you're a teacher at home, you know, you know, sit, sitting in your living room, delivering lessons or you're, you're in person, but your lessons are now being recorded by a camera in your room. Um, but there were questions about our family's going to go for this. Like our, our, and how many will actually stay home? How many students will actually stay home? What if we think 25% of them are going to stay home, but then none of them do. So we needed to have an overflow plan on campus. That was another was that like, like a, like tents or something. Cause I've seen, talked to some <laughs> other people that did that. Yeah, no, we, we looked at tents. Um, we, what we wound up doing was we said, okay, if we want this remote learning thing to be voluntary and not prescriptive by the school, we're, we're going to enter into every day with a certain amount of unknowns. Like we're not, if, if, if the classroom size capacity is 18, we're not actually going to limit the class roster to 18. We're going to limit it to 22. We're going to assume 
and we did some surveying. I mean, we had some reasonable data on this, but we're going to assume that, you know, four to six kids are not going to show up. But what happens when all 22 of them show up? We need a plan for for those kids because we don't want to erode confidence back to the whole back to the whole trust theater thing. We don't want to erode confidence that we don't take our own protocols seriously. Um, and heaven forbid, we don't take our protocols seriously. And then we have an outbreak. Then we're really, you know, then we're really in trouble. Um, so we designated um, multiple spots on campus with large footprints. Um, and we, they're basically just, they're basically just, just overflow rooms. Cause keep in mind, unlike last year, now every kid's got a laptop. So, so if you're, if you're kid, kid, nine, kid number 19, and you show up to a classroom that has a capacity of 18, you go to the library and you attend class from the library, just as you would if you had stayed home. And then we've got a, you know, we kind of have a system for how kids are treated fairly in that process. So you're not the right, same, exactly. you know, right. kid number 19 isn't going to the library every time. But, He's always put in the closet, right? <laughs> exactly. But, the, but then of course you're, you're navigating, this is the, the, this is the joy and the challenge of, um, of working with kids because a bunch of kids would probably rather do class from the library. So you've got to, <laughs> you sort of have to like navigate that, you know, are you showing up one minute late every day because you actually want to go to the library and do class with that your friends? Funny. Cause that's not going to work. Um, that is funny. So, I, I have to say like, I would be so happy to be a parent to send my kids uh, to the, the way you're describing your, your, your setup and also the way you're making decisions, I think is like, would make me feel very comfortable. It sounds like you have thought, further than I have as a parent. Well, that's what we want. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you're paying us to do as a it parent. Is. Right? Yeah, it is. Um, and, and one of the, I wouldn't, it's again, it's like, like I said earlier, it's not like we had this playbook that we pulled off the shelf, but as we've walked through the last 12 months, we have been very keenly attuned to like, what are we learning here that are permanent lessons for how we should be operating in the future? And, and there are certain principles that have bubbled up, like principles of operation that have bubbled up. And one of them is don't lock yourself into a decision framework before you have to. Um, with schools, there, was a, there were a lot of schools that were like, they, they were... And, and it's understandable why this would happen because because what do you crave in uncertain times? You crave certainty. Right? It's like, okay, so so if then, right? If case counts do this, here's what we're going to do as a school. Well, the, the problem with the pandemic and something that is like globally as disruptive as this is with, with no history, like history has become um, operational history has become obsolete. You know, what you used to bring to the table to help you make decisions, it's just not that valuable anymore um, because human behavior has changed so, so dramatically. Um, and and one of the things that we realized pretty quickly was when it came to things like, like case counts and how those tied into like guidance from the state, those goalposts were moving all the time. So, so we learned pretty quickly um, that flexibility was the name of the game and, and not, we didn't want to set ourselves up in an, in an if then scenario and get ourselves locked into like, Oh, well, case counts rose past X. So we're now going to be remote. 
Um, and, and, and our local health department was very helpful in that regard because they said, they said late in the summer and then, and then early in the fall, you know, if you guys decide to open, we want you to stop paying attention to what's going on outside your, your walls, outside your school community. Um, because, because if you're operating, it really is about numbers within your own community and what's happening with any transmission within your, your school, uh, culture. So, you know, during the fall, um, as, as you know, um, you know, in late September, those, those case counts really started going up and, um, there were schools in the area that had, had boxed themselves in a little bit. Um, and then it's not that you can't change your mind as a school, but every time you change your mind as an organization, you, you lose a little bit of credibility, right? And it's like, like next time when you say you're going to do something, it's like, well, are you, are you really going to do something? Um, and, uh, that was, that was something that we, we continue to draw on that even now because there's still uncertainty, you know, about next year. Um, so we're trying to not create if then, um, boxes, but we're trying to create, um, scenario A, scenario B, scenario C, right? And, and we may, we may adopt one of them or we may, we may continue all three of them. Um, it just depends. I'm, I'm interested in uh, a couple of the things that you mentioned. We could even do it rapid fire. How do you communicate with your people? Is it, is it bulk emails always? Like, like what's your communication platform? Um, written, video, video communication. There was a lot of, a lot of, um, um, our head of school is doing a lot of videos over the, over the course of the summer. Um, we do town halls pretty regularly um, cool. now, and then a lot of email and, okay. um, we use, uh, you know, we use a, a, a third party vendor for, for, um, email communication and we, we are paying attention to, you know, click through rates and all that stuff. And it's funny awesome. because people are very, people read email. Or yep. they're, they're just, they're thirsty for information. Um, and our, you know, our read rates are way, way, way higher than they used to be. Right um, now it is because it's like, you know, concerning your your day, you know. Exactly. You're, you're, how about uh, platforms for, for remote learning? Did you guys yes. have to choose one direction or another? What did you end up using? Yeah, it's interesting. We we, we chose two. Um, obviously, this, this was kind of a springtime, you know, late February and early mm-hmm. March. Okay, well, we got we got Teams, we got Zoom, or we got WebEx. I mean, those were the three that we were really evaluating. Right. And um, what are the what are the strengths and the and the and the concerns with each? We 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 had a foothold with Teams. I wouldn't say we were we were widespread users by any stretch, but there was some level of institutional familiarity with Teams because you're using 365 like for your your admin stuff. Yeah. And we were, I mean, we, we were using it to a small degree in the classrooms. We had some, some, some individual teachers who had invested, but I mean, it's a, it's a classic, um, it's a classic initiative in, in a, uh, in an industry that is, um, really burdened by inertia. Right. I mean, education is a classic, like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll look at teams, you know, when I have time or maybe someday that'll be useful to me. Well, guess what? It's February, 2020 and it's useful now. So you better learn it. Um, and, and so we, what we did decide to do was we went with teams, um, pretty exclusively for our secondary program. Um, actually fifth through 12th grade, not to get into the weeds on, on why fifth grade was included, but, um, 
and we were using Teams as both a video platform and as a learning management system, an LMS, pretty much that became kind of the clearinghouse for, for document transfers and all that okay. sort of stuff. Yep. Um, we went with WebEx for our K through um, four um, students um, in part because they didn't have existing Teams accounts. And also we had right. some concerns about um, we had some concerns about privacy and we just liked, we liked WebEx for the younger kids a little bit better. Um, so yeah, I guess that's so, so like that remote, that, that, that remote scenario where it's like, if I'm a ninth grader and I just say, Hey mom, dad, like, can I just stay home? I'm going to, I'll do work online. I then log into teams and I'm in my classroom team room. That's that's really cool. Yep. <laughs> that is really cool. And it's been that model has been a, a massive lift for our teachers. Um, okay. We've kind of adopted calling that the high flex model, where you're you know as a teacher you're essentially you're essentially teaching the same class in two different platforms. Um, one of which is um, well, the two platforms from a pedagogical standpoint don't really work that well together. So, you know, if you take like, I don't know, if you take a classroom discussion, a Socratic seminar, or, or a group work, in particular, like a science lab, like, the, the, that, that takes two different class plans, like the, the, the plan for the kids at home is going to be fundamentally different than the plan for the kids in the classroom. So, so now you've not only, you probably haven't doubled your, your prep time, your, your planning time but you've certainly increased it by a significant percentage. And then, oh, by the way, you also have to simultaneously kind of manage these two different populations. Um, and questions from both and and tech problems on the side of the kids that are at home. Um, so it, it's a huge burden. And our, our teachers have been amazing. Um, our employees have been incredible at, um, at adapting. And then, and then pulling, pulling themselves out of the frustration that comes with not only like, not only a complete change in, in how you work and how, how much you have to work, but also a total, a total reframing of what success looks like. Um, because, you know, you, you, let's say you've taught for, for 10 years, a certain way, like you've got a certain expectation about how much your kids should have learned by February 19th. Well, guess what? On February 19th, 2021, they haven't learned as much as, as they had in previous years. Um, and, and that we, like, we keep, we keep trying to, um, put that back into the, into the professional culture. Like it's okay. You have to give yourselves permission for this to be okay. You, it's going to be frustrating. You got to build that into your expectations and, everybody thinks we're doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. So, so don't worry. <laughs> and they just forget. They, they, like, you know, they, right. they, they fall graders back are, into that pattern. Eighth, I've, eighth graders have always learned this by the end of February, right? In my last 12 years of teaching. And if they don't get there, then I'm falling behind. My job is to get them there by the end of February. And you have to give them permission to be like, this is a very unusual circumstance, right? Our programs are going to be delayed because of, everything that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to get back into sort of the, the educational landscape overall too, mm -hmm. that's, I think one of the advantages of being 
an independent school is you, we're just so much more nimble to modify the system moving forward, not just this year, but, but moving ahead. I mean, you've got, you, you've got a, um, a single system of fewer than a thousand kids. Um, you know what, if the eighth graders didn't get as far in history as they did last year, we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's going to be okay. And then, and then that ties back into why, why credibility and good decision-making um, becomes so important in this overall landscape is once you've established that trust, you can tell people it's going to be okay and they'll believe you. You can tell your parent community it's going to be okay. They'll believe you. You can tell your teachers it's going to be okay and they'll believe you. And as long as you keep making good decisions, you'll retain the trust and credibility to make a statement like that and have it, um, have it, uh, ease the minds of the community and stabilize the, the culture. And that has been invaluable for us. Wow. All right. All right. Let me, let, let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen next? Like you've, you've implemented all these things, right? And I actually, I, I think that you might have a better view onto this than many people that I speak with, because you guys are already like, seems to me months ahead of everyone else that I talked to. Um, okay temperature checks, we've got, you know, space concerns with overflow and remote learning. And maybe the teachers have headsets on now, I'm imagining, because they're like presenting to the class, but they also need to be able to be heard by the far distance learners. Is there a rush to get back to the exact way it was? Or do you think that there'll be lingering things that were good, that we're going to keep forever? What, what do you think might happen? I mentioned that, you know, 12 months ago, 13 months ago, we were kind of in the middle of re-enrollment. So that's, that's the, (laughs) that's always a, a, you know, a yearly, there's a yearly rhythm to January, you know, it's okay. Now we're going to communicate to our community about re-enrollment for next year. Well, the re-enrollment letter in, in 2021 tried to anticipate the, the unknowns. Um, and, and, um, we used it as a little bit of a, um, transparent window into kind of how we were thinking about school for the 21, 22 school year, because obviously you're asking families to pony up uh, a commitment, including a financial commitment to, to re-enroll for next year when we're nine months away from the start of school, they're going to want to (laughs) know kind of like, um, yeah, what's it what's it going to look like? And also, I mean, one thing that we haven't talked about is we our enrollment um, increased dramatically this year. So over the course of the summer, we enrolled um, about twenty five percent of our families this year are new to BCS. Is that because people are moving out of the city center? No, it's because people are moving away from public schools because they want to be in person. And that and that's what you get in part from the private school education. Yeah. And, and so, and, and so that's a, I mean, 25% increase in enrollment is a wonderful thing for us to, to, to navigate. Um, but, but it also presents where from an enrollment management standpoint, we're in an interesting scenario right now where we don't, again, I said before, like your history doesn't mean anything. When 25% of your families are, are new and they came to you for what largely amounts to a transactional reason, like that's kind of the phrase that we use, like 
oh, I'm interested in Bellevue Christian because of this tangible thing that it can give me instead of maybe the school's mission, vision, philosophy, culture, those types of kind of more, more elusive um, reasons. We're confronting the question right now, are these families going to stay? Or when public schools go back, will, will they leave? And, and ultimately, we don't know. We can look at certain metrics and try to wrap our heads around that, like like philanthropic giving is one thing we can look at from our, especially from our first year families. Like, are they, are they engaging in a way that suggests a more permanent relationship? Because if you're only, if you're swooping in for a year and then you're going to swoop back out, you're probably unlikely to support, you know, from a, from a fundraising and philanthropy standpoint. Re-enrollment is its own metric, you know, um, and, and re-enrollment for us was, off the charts positive this year. So that's a that's a three week window. Typically we would expect maybe 70 to 75% of our families to re-enroll in that priority re-enrollment timeframe. Right. Um, we're at about 95% re-enrollment. That's actually, again, how close to the city are you? How close well, is Seattle? I mean, we're, we're close. We're, okay. we're certainly in the metro area. We're, we're one suburb over from Seattle itself. And then Bellevue is a pretty, pretty thriving commercial center on its own. So, 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 cause I, I'm thinking like from a, like a New York perspective, a lot of people left New York, right. Uh-huh. That were able to do so. And that, that can mean that like some things depress uh, in terms of enrollment and they end up being enrolled in, you know, the country school, right. the right. day school or whatever. Right. It doesn't sound like you had that, <laughs> that you didn't have a problem. No, we we did not. Um, we didn't do that. In fact, if anything, people moved out of the city center and into the suburbs a little bit more where where we are. Okay, um, got it, yeah. got it. Um, so so yeah, we we used re-enrollment to kind of say, okay, well, this is sort of what we're anticipating for next year, and we're, what we're anticipating is um, that will there will still be some some health protocols. Those will still be a thing that. Um, that we'll want to adhere to. We think that there will be less pressure on class size um, in terms of, you know, the physical space between kids, but that, but that some spirit of, of distancing will still be, you know, part of school life. Um, We anticipate that the vaccination will, you know, have, have uh, taken care of a lot of the concern about spread, all those things. So we tried to send a very clear message that we, um, we intend to be in person and okay. that we think we will start to shift away from our remote delivery. Like there's no more days off <laughs> because you're like right. remote, remote learning, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's been, it's been one of the sort of humorous side conversations. Like, what do you do? I mean, and we've had literal conversations. Like what, what do you do with snow days? Because you now power outages aside, I mean, you now have the capability to deliver instruction during snow days, but should we? Because snow days are, especially in the Seattle area, I mean, we don't, we don't get a ton of snow days. So when we do, it's a super like special thing. Like, are are we are do we want to like rob our kids of the of the joy joy that comes when you wake up and you you know you see snow outside and you're going to go outside and sled with your friends in the neighborhood or whatever? So we actually have a plan around snow days. We just had a big snowstorm last weekend, but it happened to come on on uh, days that were already off for us. So we didn't actually have to navigate that decision. I say, I say, let them have the snow days for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's been our approach. Well, Blake, I'm, I'm aware that like, it's been a, a 
a lot of your time. So I don't want to like take up too much That's of your fine. time. Yeah. Uh, I just super appreciate all this color that you've given to your decision-making. You know, I don't know if you looked at all like what I've been doing recently, but I've been speaking with schools and, and other facilities that are like trying to reopen. And a lot of people are sort of a lot less put together than what you're describing. Right. <laughs> well, I'll, just, I'll just say that like, I, I, and I've always, as a technology consultant, I've always moved like from different business, different businesses, different cultures you know, to do a particular thing. It's like, you know, we're going to do a surveillance system for this hotel and I'm going to work on this over here. So you kind of jump into like different organizations and you can see a big difference in the way that different organizations operate, right? And it sounds like your community and your school has things really well put together. I appreciate you saying that. It, of course, it's it's it doesn't always feel that way. It's a little bit of the the duck, you know. He oh, he's gliding over the, the the water and looks all smooth, and then you know underneath he's you know <laughs> doing this. Um, but I'll I mean I'll tell you a couple couple just uh, responses to that. I mean, like er, early on, I recognized that it was it was going to be critically important for the leaders of the organization to lead and to not let people fall into sort of a helplessness of like, this is something that's happening to us and we're just going to have to wait it out. Like, no, that's, that's not how we're going to approach it. Um, and then there's been a big, a, a, a pretty big cheerleading component to this thing. Uh, and not just, you know, sending positive hunky dory emails. I mean, like really like a strategic approach to knowing, um, who inside the organization on the on the employee side is really struggling right now and how can we support them um who who's going to go visit them um and be in their classroom and give them a you know give, give them some love um because because we all feel that at times and we'll be fine as an organization as long as as long as we we um the frustration just just shifts from one person to another, you know, at a time, and it doesn't overtake sort of the morale of the whole organization. And we've we've been really strategic about that. I mean, about making sure that the frustration does not get a toehold, um, because the other thing about this is, it's been a real positive, clarifying moment for Bellevue Christian, and and we kind of needed it. I mean, we we were drifting along a little bit, and we were on a we weren't on a positive enrollment trajectory. And then all of a sudden this awful thing happens. And I'm not saying it isn't awful. I mean, you know, all these cases and deaths and, and disruption to family lives. And um, it's, it's obviously been a terrible thing for the educational system as a whole. And it's had a huge negative impact on kids in ways that we won't even understand for decades. Um, but it's not going to be good. So I'm not saying, you know, Oh, aren't, aren't we glad that this pandemic came along? I'm not glad the pandemic came along, but it came along <laughs> and there was nothing, there was nothing we could do about it. And so the only thing that we could do was to tr just to try to think well about the new normal. And, and it's had a, a real resetting effect on multiple industries. Um, and we just kind of took an approach from an early stage that we were we were going to try to just use this to make us better, um, and I think it and I think it has in a lot of ways. I mean, it has certainly it certainly arrested some of the concerning trends that we that we were confronting in terms of enrollment. But it's also proven 
a whole bunch um, to to ourselves and to our broader community about w- what we can be capable of if we're confronted with a, a really a remarkable challenge. And we, we can live off that for a long time, a long, long, long time. And, and we will, <laughs> we will use this to continue to, um, to say, look at how we can grow. Um, Look at what we did during the pandemic. Now, what's the next challenge that we can face and tackle and, and be and be better um, because we've been able to overcome it? Blake DeYoung, thank you so much for being on my podcast, Redesigning Normal. This was a great conversation, and I've I've got a lot to like th- think about with all this. This is amazing. Well, I appreciate that. It was very enjoyable, and um, I look forward to, to checking in with you down the road. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Redesigning Normal podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at invisiblehealthtechnologies.com.